Brian Fisher, welcome to The Herd Mentality. Thanks for your time. Firstly, would you agree that you have a platform with a megaphone and a whole bunch of unsubstantiated nonsense that you broadcast to millions of equally ignorant fools? This is true. Very well. Now, you wanted to come on the show today to discuss a new revelation you've recently had. There's a connection between the sun and temperatures. Now, I understand this, but could you dumb it down for the listeners, please? The sun is shining in the day, and it's not shining at night. Any other way of putting it? I mean, that's why it's warmer in the day than it is at night. Why is that? Gripping stuff. I mean, this is just crazy. No, trust me, I share your jubilance. Now, let's discuss science. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Absolutely. In fact, you've developed a giant umbrella almost two meters wide. And therefore, you could expect global temperatures to be cooler. Sounds pretty solid. Speaking of science, any thoughts on Ray Comfort's 8-horsepower solid gold butt plug being mass-produced for the Russian market? It is a total hoax. There's no science behind it. I see. And Joel Osteen's teeth function purely... Because of solar radiation. Hmm. Could you give me a sentence, please, that sounds like something Deepak Chopra might say? The area of energy thing is a total scam. Much appreciated. Brian Fisher, thanks for your time. That's why Hobby Lobby objects to these prescription medications because they cause a human being in its earliest stage of development to be flushed out of the woman's body. I can't speak French. But... <laughs> I wouldn't argue that that would be the one to go for. <laughs> I can barely speak English. I think something like Mandarin where there's 2,000 characters in the alphabet and there's 27 different definitions of faith. I just made that up. I, I have no idea, but I, I'd like to think And I that. believed you because I have faith in you. <laughs> Take note, listeners. I think we should start over and pick different guests. <laughs> Welcome to The Herd Mentality, an eclectic weekly mix of atheistic, humanistic and scientific conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection and, God willing, entertain you with some scintillating repartee. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, found on Twitter, Facebook and Google+. And it's time to meet our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Herd Mentality podcast. And with me down the line and bringing to the table a degree in mathematical physics, we have Kevin at Logic Rotwheeler. How are you, sir? Not too bad. Yourself, Adam? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I didn't understand a <laughs> word Very good, very good. Yes. Uh, actually, quite fine, yes. Yourself? How are you doing, Adam? I'm smashing. Thank you. Oh, lovely. Hello there. And Tony, who goes by the Twitter handle, at Doodle Blasphemy. How are you? I'm fine, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing I can do with your accent. And uh, intermittently dropping into the call when conditions permit, we have Atheist Mel. How are you? I'm fine, and my internet is spectacular, so just get off my back about it. <laughs> and from the US, we have Randall at DMackie. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? D well, hmm, Superman does good. I'm doing well. Thank you. You need to check your grammar, son. <laughs> it's going to be like a... that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, this is uh, world record material, getting four people on the show. It's going to be 
an excruciating edit, and if the discussion we had off-air is anything to go by, an excruciating discussion as well. So, guys, thank you very much for coming on. So, we're keeping it fresh, we're keeping it um, broad and general, and we're going to talk about how to call people out on their nonsense. And there's several different mechanisms by which each of us attack this. For example, I perhaps target uh, the people who set the examples, such as Ray Comfort, Joel Osteen, Deepak Chopra, and so forth. And let's throw it over to you, Tony. What are you up to with your account? Mostly drawing very bad pictures of religious figures doing unseemly things. Okay. When you say bad pictures, guys, what are your thoughts on the pictures at the Doodle Blasphemy account? Well, I think they're absolutely fantastic. <laughs> they crack me up every time. They're very good. How long do they take you, Tony? Not too long. Anywhere, depending on whether I can be asked to colour them in or not, anywhere between 15 minutes to half an hour, 40 minutes. Yeah, right. The pictures you do of people like Ray Comfort and Muhammad, now, I, well, I haven't actually seen... Muhammad or a photograph of him, I don't think too many people have, but they're very striking. I think they're excellent pictures. I think in lieu of any actual photographs of Muhammad, what Thony does is fantastic. And it gives us, you know, it gives us what we would have had if we did have photographs of Muhammad. Hmm. What are some of the things that you've drawn? And uh, as, while people are listening to this, I encourage you to go to at Doodle Blasphemy and have a, a look at some of the pictures, but just describe one of those images for us. Well, initially, I tried not to be too crude. Inevitably, it went that way, <laughs> as I'm immature. The aim of the account is to poke fun at sacred cows now. I've tried to limit myself to what people would describe as sacred cows, and that could also include people like Richard Dawkins or anyone who, for some reason, if you talk the piss out of them, someone would get offended by it. I've got no time for putting people on pedestals. So if insulting Richard Dawkins is equally as amusing to myself, which is the end goal of the account, is to amuse myself. I'm not doing it for subscribers or to get retweeted by Ricky Gervais or anything like that. It is just purely my own amusement. If it's equally amusing to see people react badly to parodying Richard Dawkins as it is to do to Muhammad, then so be it. I get what you're saying, because people do put them up on a pedestal. And for that reason, when I do the little clips and the sound effects at the beginning of the episode, and take people out of context. Yes, I'm very heavily biased towards the nutbags, religious right-wingers, so on and so forth, but equally, I'll take Sam Harris. On the latest episode, we, we took out of context Dillahunty, Aaron Ra, and Seth Andrews and gave them a little bit of the same treatment. So, Dimaki, how are you tackling this problem? How are you calling out nonsense? I generally don't, as a rule. I'm not really one of the accounts that goes out looking for debates, but when I come across it, I always look to see if people are able to clearly state their point. Um, a lot of times they'll use like vague wording to try and confuse you into just accepting what they're saying or they're trying to cover up a lack of sources. And those are usually like my two go-tos as far as finding nonsense claims. Mel? I, I don't engage with a lot of people anymore. Just, you know, I've had some bad experiences in the past where, you know, if you go out looking for people to talk to and it just kind of devolves into a complete mess where no one's making any sense anymore, myself included, because you get off on such a tangent that your original point has just been completely lost. So my tactic now is just to attack any and all religious bullshit, which there is a lot of it. So, you know, there's pretty much endless material to go off of. And then the odd time I'll have a theist who comes across my sort of blasphemous tweets and they may say something to me. And the odd time I'll try to you know, have a conversation with them if they seem like they're 
actually interested. But even that typically devolves quickly into complete madness. Like the other day, <laughs> I sent a tweet about something about evolution. I forget what it was about. And there's one guy, he was a Christian, and he tweeted me back and said, you know, I'm a Christian and I believe in evolution. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting because I haven't really come across that many who do. And so I kind of asked him, like, well, at what point do you think that humans evolved into, you know, being worthy of heaven? And he was like, oh, no, no, I don't believe that. I believe that we evolved from different humans that God created. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> that's not really a thing, but thanks. <laughs> so that, that kind of situation there is why I no longer really try to debate theists. I'm more just, you know, take the religious obscurities and all the ridiculous nonsense and basically make fun of it for my own amusement. Where are the atheists going wrong? In trying to talk to theists, you mean? Yeah. You know what? I, I actually don't really think it's often the atheists that are going wrong. I think that a lot of the time, the people that they're talking to are just either so into their religious delusions that they're just really not ever going to have a decent conversation, or it just is one of those things where the conversation just kind of gets a little bit out of control. You start on one topic and it sort of branches into another topic and into another. And, you know, when you're sending 140 character tweets to each other, you just can never really get a good point across, in my opinion. It just seems like it kind of spirals out of control really but, quickly. But is the, is the atheist just as much to blame there for allowing that to take place? Should they take some more responsibility? Well, I mean, I guess it would depend on what your end goal is. I mean, if you're really trying to convince someone of something... Then to be quite frank, I don't really think that Twitter is the place to do it. It's really a difficult platform. If you're just trying to be funny, then well, go to town. Maybe you're doing the right thing. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Kevin? There's a few different kind of aspects to it. I think Mel's right. I don't think you're ever going to convince the person you're speaking to on Twitter. I don't want to use the word debating because it's not a debate. Debate's a formal thing and it's a philosophy thing and most of us aren't interested in that. But if you have a discussion with someone on Twitter, you're not likely to dissuade them that there's a God or that their religion's wrong. But what I tend to think when I do get involved in these conversations, I do tend to think that other people are watching. You know, the whole point of Twitter is it's a public forum. For all that I don't expect to ever convince the person I'm tweeting at, I do tend to hope that maybe someone who's reading it might think, oh, that's a good point, or, you know, or, or the point the other person's making, oh, maybe that's not so great. Or, you know, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily that you're trying to convince the person you're speaking to. I think the fact is we're having these conversations, they're open discussions, they're public discussions, and people might be watching it, but particularly young people, because you would like to think they're most open to ideas, especially if they've been brought up in a religious religious household or a religious community, you would want the young people to be happy to take on board the fact that maybe what they've been told isn't gospel, so to speak. So there's there's that whole aspect of it. But I mean, to go back to what you said about the where are the atheists going wrong, to me, where that goes wrong on Twitter is where it devolves into philosophy and it becomes this big convoluted discussion and people throw in buzzwords and philosophical terms and they try to make it something that's not, not suited to Twitter. And I think most of the guys that take philosophy seriously recognise that and don't try to do philosophy on Twitter because you can't you know you can't do that in hundred and forty characters. For some I wouldn't do it in hundred and forty thousand characters. It doesn't interest me, but some people you know, some people it does, but it it's not suited to Twitter. So when people start trying to throw out all these Latin terms and quoting philosophers and things, that that's when you've jumped the shark. So Tony, a picture is worth a thousand words. What sort of feedback have you been getting? Mostly positive. Obviously, mostly atheists quite generally find taking the piss out of revered religious figures quite funny. Um, the only really negative feedback I've gotten 
doing the whole thing had nothing to do at all with the fact that I was targeting religious figures. It was the fact that in one of the pictures I've done, it was Mohammed as a swimwear model. And the, uh, yeah, so it wasn't the fact that it was Mohammed being targeted that was the point of contention. It was the fact that he was wearing a, a woman's bathing suit. And apparently that was insensitive to uh, transgendered people. Oh, oh shut up. <laughs> Which, as I had to, I had to explain, um, and as a few other people did explain as well, being British, obviously, there's a, a great long historic tradition of men dressing as women for no other reason than it's funny. Yeah. It wasn't implied that Mohammed was transgendered. It wasn't implied he was a transvestite or... Or even he, real. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> but for some reason, these days, if a man's wearing a dress, it's, it's bigotry. <laughs> Absurdity. Certainly many giggles to be derived from that. Randall, your thoughts? Well, I generally avoid engaging people too much on Twitter. I just don't have the patience required to handle when they get lost in their own circular arguments or they just double down on being wrong when you point out that they've got everything incorrect. So yeah, I don't think it's really all that constructive, especially on a format like Twitter where you're limited to such short arguments. It's been pointed out to me that theists didn't get themselves into their position using logic. So using logic to get them out of it isn't going to have much of an effect. Probably truer than I would like to admit. There's certainly going to be a percentage of people that's true for, but I would like to think that you can reason some people out of things that they've not reasoned themselves into, particularly if they've just grown up not questioning things. I would like to think that if you can start to get people to question things, that it might make a difference, at least for some of them. Can you provide one anecdotal example? No. <laughs> so you'd, you'd well, like to think I, I, it's I true. Said, when, when you have these discussions on Twitter, I think you're kind of hoping that the people that are reading them, rather than necessarily the person you're actually having the discussion with. I mean, I, I really hate to say that some people are hopeless, <laughs> because I'm sure most of you know that like at one point in my life, I was the most hopeless theist on the planet, like embarrassingly bad. And I managed to make it out okay, so I'd like to think that there's hope for anyone. But I think that when you talk to these people on Twitter, most often the ones that you engage are really at the, you know, the far end of the religious spectrum. Like they, they really believe in all of this nonsense. And I think once you get that deep into that kind of delusion, it is really hard to use logic to get them back because they're just, you know, it doesn't matter what you say because every answer can be summed up with, you know, but I really believe God is real. How do you argue that with logic? If that's really what you believe in your heart, I mean, no amount of logic is going to bring you back. But I think that there are people kind of on the fringe who maybe believe in God, but they're not quite so far at that end of the spectrum. If they hear some of these arguments that actually make sense, maybe they would think like, oh, I just hadn't thought about it that way before. And that might, you know, push them in the right direction. Uh, I just think that there is, you know, a lot of those people that I see come through my Twitter feed in these conversations with atheists are just... You know, they're, they're never going to listen to your logic because all they care about is that they can feel Jesus in their heart, and <laughs> that's enough for them. A lot of the atheists that you see on Twitter that jump in, many no. of them aren't any better than the, the, no. the guys on the other side of the conversation. They jump in with cliches, and they don't actually answer questions. They just, you know, they just talk over people with stuff they've either read in a Richard Dawkins book, or not that I'm criticising Richard Dawkins' books, I think they're fantastic, but if you're just quoting them yeah. without really understanding why, then there's no difference between that and quoting the Bible. You might as well be quoting anything. You could quote Lord of the Rings that way. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> you need people to understand where they're coming from and to be able to actually respond to questions without being mean about it. It's hard to do, but I think listening to people and allowing them to say their piece 
so they feel that what they've said has sunk into you and you've processed it. That's breaking the ice. I've had moderate success with that. It's really hard to do, though. <laughs> well, it takes a lot of time and a lot of patience, which I think a lot of <laughs> a lot of atheists sometimes lack that interest in time, which is what I lack. I just don't really have the time or interest. And I think others that maybe do have the time sometimes lack the patience to really listen to what people are saying and, and would rather just say, oh, that's the no true Scotsman logical fallacy. That's why you're wrong. The end of discussion. And then who's really benefited from that conversation? Probably no one because the theist doesn't care that they've committed a logical fallacy and you haven't really gotten anything out of it because you've just thrown the logical fallacy picture in their face and then conversation's over. So I think the there is a, a big lack of patience that really exacerbates that problem. I think there is, and I think there's also the, the fact that a lot of conversations, certainly conversations I've been involved in, they quite often start well, and you're having a, a quite a nice, reasonable conversation that's going to and fro, and you feel like you're getting somewhere. What I feel you quite often come up against with the, the theistic side is a, it's just a brick wall. When you get to the point where you've kind of exhausted all the, the reasonable options, quite often they just can put up a brick wall and then they start throwing insults. And... I see plenty of it coming from the atheist side as well. Tony? The thing I have the biggest problem with, with regards to debating theists on Twitter specifically, obviously the, the limited character count is a bit of a hindrance, but nine times out of ten, whenever I see a conversation that's started between someone or other it's always been, or mostly, I should say, been started by the atheist searching out something to criticise. So whether that's someone who spelled atheist incorrectly, someone who's mentioned God or mentioned evolution. And then from that point on, an unconstructive pile on. Now, you can get some interesting discussions. And admittedly, sometimes taking the piss out of someone who's so stupid it hurts has entertainment value. But it's not really going to change anyone's mind. If you're someone, say, a theist, just tweeting about your opinions on evolution as wrong as they may be, if out of nowhere an atheist and then 20 of their followers start a pile on, that's going to put you on the defensive and that's not going to make you receptive to... It's going to give you a position where you feel like you have to defend and you can't change your opinion. What I would suggest in an instance like that is if you're actually after a productive outcome, is rather than tweeting the response with the one line, here's your fallacy, is saying, may I ask a question? And then wait and see what happens. And if they come back with a yes or a no, you've got your answer, but you know that they're willing to, to engage and you're not going to have them on the defensive. I mean, exactly. If anyone, be they an atheist or atheist or whatever, you tweet something and then sometimes up to a week later, you've got a barrage of people attacking you for the thing you've said. It's not going to make you that inclined to care about what people are saying, whether you're wrong or whether they're wrong or whatever. And getting a commitment, and here's a little sales tactic, getting a commitment out of somebody before they buy, you know, by saying something as simple as, if I spend the time with you to explain to you the difference between five different products, would you make a purchase from me? And just switching that over to the theist debate and saying, may I ask a question? Get them to say yes. You, you get people to say yes three times, and then all of a sudden they're, <laughs> they're putty in your hands. And ask a question such as, if I were to go through evolution with you and explain where perhaps you could be wrong, would you be prepared to modify your views to be more in alignment with the current consensus? And if they say yes, then game on. If they say no, you can point out, well, so you're prepared to live with outdated views? Is this a sensible way of moving forward? I suppose just the, the, the 
point that we were talking about, about how you know what to believe when it comes to the, the, the science versus religion thing, I wrote a, a blog post about it recently because there is there is definitely a difference. There's a, there's a difference between believing what the scientific community is telling you and what a prophet says. And the difference, whatever anyone wants to say, comes into blind faith. If you're accepting what a prophet says, you've got to accept that on faith. There's no other way to describe that. Do what you like with fancy words to try and make it sound different, but that's what it is. You're accepting what someone said with no way to verify it, whereas you can accept scientific truths that's different, or scientific announcements, because apart from anything else, there's that. There's always a caveat and a provisional, and something might come along and change it. You know that there are scientists in the community that will stand up and say if something's wrong, if they find something wrong with it, they'll say, and we live in a world with global communication, it's, it's, people will find a way to make themselves heard if something's wrong. I mean, a good example recently was the announcement about inflation theory, gravitational waves, the hint of detection of gravitational waves, and now that's being scaled back a bit. We're not so sure. It looked like we were quite sure, and actually now there's two or three other things that could be causing that. You don't see that with, with religious people. You know, that, that science does that. Science says, here's something we think we've found, and science is quite happy to say, actually, we've looked at it a bit deeper, and we were maybe a bit too quick off the mark, and we need to take a step back and think about it a bit more. And you've got an entire community there. There's no individual that has authority to say that's right and you all have to bow down and listen to it. And that's the difference. It's a major, major difference. You're not reliant on one person. All right. Kevin, any charities or blogs you'd like to link to? In charities, just whatever you think is a good thing to donate I think the, the whole point of charity is it's what, what do you believe in and it's always going to be slightly self-serving if, if someone in your family has died from cancer donate to a cancer charity or, or whatever takes your interest I think if you've if donated to charity it's a good thing do it there's no bad well there, maybe there are some bad charities but you know, in general it's a good thing to date to charity so whoever anyone wants to date to that's a good thing as far as blogs are concerned read my blog <laughs> I don't know how many people read it I, I don't really care too much about who reads it, I just write it for my own benefit really, but it's always there uh, it's reasonsrottweiler.tumblr.com Fantastic, Tony? Yeah, since we're talking about charities, there's a charity that I've been quite involved with for a while and done some fundraising for them before, which is called Acamba, which is a charity that helps promote uh, education and working opportunities for underprivileged people in Africa. Don't need to necessarily donate money, but they also do book drives. So if there's any way you can get any books to them so they can go to Africa and uh, help teach them kids, then awesome. Fantastic. What's their website? The website is acef.uk.com. Fantastic. Atheist Mel. I have no charities to promote because I'm an evil atheist and I don't believe in that. (laughs) I do have a blog which I update very infrequently, usually when I'm really bored and have a lot of other things I should be doing. So yeah, that link's on my Twitter page and otherwise, nope, I got nothing. Fantastic. And Randall. I promoted the Wayne Foundation last time I was on, so I guess I could just give them a shout out again because I'm still donating to them. A charity started by Kevin Smith, the director that seeks to rescue and rehabilitate victims of child sex trafficking. So you can just go to their website at waynefdn.org to check it out. I actually legitimately feel like a bad person now for not having a charity to promote. (laughs) You are a legit... Just say cancer research or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, cancer. Donate to cancer. It's bad. Mm. You're effectively doing cancer. Donate to cancer research, not to cancer. (laughs) (laughs) Cancer doesn't need help. (laughs) Cancer's doing fine without help. You're hamstringing yourself there, Mel, because without AIDS funding, what are you going to be doing in five years? Well, exactly. Do not donate to AIDS research, because you've got to keep that thing going so I have a job. (laughs) We should support AIDS so your job goes (laughs) longer. Yeah, support AIDS. 
I am a bad person. <laughs> Guys, thank you very much for coming on the show, and I'll speak to you on the electric Twitter. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Cheers. Thanks. Heard Bentalists, hear me. Questionable Adam here from the year 2074, contacting you via prismically aligned healing crystals. In this alternate timeline, there is a massive government clampdown on speaking aloud as Emperor Deepak is forcing everyone to communicate with nothing but telepathy. Nobody's getting anything done at all. Back in the year 2014, past questionable Adam was working three jobs and not sleeping very much at all in order to meet tight schedules for the podcast you know and probably don't love. I seem to remember wanting very much to quit one of those jobs in particular, which would be feasible if we were to hit $300 per episode on Patreon. And if you knew what I had to do for a living back then, you'd want to make this happen as quickly as possible to preserve my mental health. Now you can help. Simply head to patreon.com slash herdmentality. For less than a cup of coffee per episode, you can help past questionable Adam reach that goal, just like Rob, Elvin, and Andrew did this week. It doesn't just help past me, however. This week, the show assisted Catherine in Peru to go and study textile quality control. 10% of what you give to the show goes to help women in developing countries, just like Catherine, to further their education. Due to work commitments, the show very nearly didn't make it out this week, and it's even less likely to happen next week. I really do appreciate your support. Now I must run. Emperor Deepak's audio seeker drones have fired from orbit. I'll have to seek refuge underground. I'll contact you soon. Joining me down the line, I've got Anand. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Very well, thank you. Now, you go by the Twitter handle at, at Divine Atheist. Yes, I do. So, you're Indian by yes. nationality. I, yes, I'm an Indian nationality. I'm a holder of Indian passport. Right now, I'm in Middle East in Dubai. And you have some thoughts and experiences to share. Yes. In fact, uh, regarding the herd mentality, the religion as well. You know, I've been advocating this for like more than four or five years back in my mother country. We are in India. Yeah, we are basically, if you could see, there are multi-religious country, but every religion is as bad as the other one. Now, I feel this is nothing but an epidemic, you know, a social psychology kind of epidemics. If I say that word to you, you might think a biological epidemic like cold or flu. But think of the other side. Somewhere, someone said a fancy story. People started believing in it. People started killing in the name of it. It's not just with the religion. It's also there with communism, national fanaticism. I think, you know, basically religions and, you know, fanatic cults is the most regressive factors or things happen to the entire humanity and to the history of the world. It's an interesting thought. In the book, A Manual for Creating Atheists by Peter Boghossian, mm. he describes the faith as a virus. He calls it the faith virus. Exactly. Exactly. Now, what have you experienced since moving to the Middle East? Here, people talk about even Dubai. Dubai, they try to, you know, portray as a land of free, land of uh, what you call equal opportunity and they embrace culture. But one thing I have understood is, again, the concept of egalitarianism is nowhere in the air. Still, women is considered, especially the Arabic ladies, you know, the local ladies are considered, I don't even call it as a second tier, maybe the third tier or fourth tier citizens. Couple of months before, I believe a year before, an Australian lady was raped in the hotel here in Dubai. Yes. And she went and complained to the cops. What happened was she was charged with crime. 
and the perpetrators were you know left alone you know free mm-hmm. the crime de- she did was having sex outside marriage even yes. victims if it's a lady she gets raped you're asking for trouble i'm familiar with that story she is an Australian citizen and yes. she was raped by a member of the staff. She she'd been drinking, but Right, but that doesn't that doesn't I seriously say even if a lady drinks, even if a lady walks around in a bikini or no no person other than herself has a right to give permission to anybody to have, you know, maybe a good time with her. Hmm. It is her complete freedom and here it's completely different. And it's the other way around you get the point right and also racism yes i'm a person who believes you know races are just a difference or it should be you know enjoyed difference of colors mm-hmm. here if you are a british citizen you get more paid on the same job same scale here if you from um, basically from somalia you're asking for trouble you know you don't get paid at all it's the other other way around it all starts with the religion and their manifestation of racial supremacy so how do you get access to secular material well i am an it person so i do <laughs> kind of you know proxy servers you know i do tunneling my uh, browsers basically okay well- and i had to thank you know Source community to provide me such you know tools as well. Okay, let's touch upon that because a lot of people in these countries that are monitored by the local authorities, which websites can they use to gain more secure, discreet access to things like Twitter? Well, in Middle East, I'm not sure about Saudi Arabia, but in Dubai, Twitter is much more open. Anybody can use Twitter. Those things wouldn't be a problem, but you know, think about books. Basically, the printed media. Most of the books here, which makes sense, are banned. Talk about Richard Dawkins. Talk about Christopher Hitchens. Even Christopher Hitchens' books, which his view on politics is okay, but on religion, anything that criticizes religion, anything that criticizes Islam, is a ban here. Mm-hmm. Now, to use it, I would suggest you know there is a plugin or extension in Chrome called ZenMate. that would be zebra echo number m m for mark alpha tango and echo zen mate which gives you a free access to the proxy and i use that i would suggest anybody from anywhere in the world who is experiencing such kind of barrier would use zen mate mm. if you are unable to install extensions in your browser you can mm. head to a website called proxify.me so p r o x i f y .me yes. and that's something you can use from any browser. Right. And uh, I believe that's blocked here because I tried it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There are others. There are several yes. others. Uh well there is something which I really would like to, you know, if this is aired and I believe would be heard by most of the people out there. It is high time, you know, as Malcolm, you know, Malcolm Gladwell explained in his book called Tipping Point. It is high time that, you know, we should bring out the thoughts of secularism or, you know, wade away the supernatural. And it's good to have the stories like, you know, all the supernatural stories and should be given just importance as we give to Harry Potter or, you know, J.K. Rowling's Lord of the Rings. The rest, it has to be scientifically judged, number one, and morally, the moral code should come from what you are exactly, not from religion, not from any racial supremacy or any thoughts. Very well. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Have you got a website or a charity that you would like to support? I would really love to actually, you know, organize a community in Middle East, you know, for secularism. I know I'm putting my life at risk, but it's worth. Yes, if there is something people would like to, you know, get it done in Middle East or maybe help me actually organize a secular community in Middle East. Yes, this would be I would be, you know, really happy to get involved with. Excellent. So the best way to contact you for that would be at @divineatheist on Twitter. Yes. 
Fantastic. Anand, thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh, Adam, thank you for the opportunity to make myself heard to the world community. Thank you very much. Fighting crime. Protecting the innocent. Poorly funded, but equipped with critical thinking. He is the champion of reason. One week had passed since my late-night encounter with the man known as the Champion of Reason. Before saying goodbye and mounting his horse with a hearty, Hi-yo, Argentum! Away! He had given me a map with an X next to the words Location Omega and said that he would contact me. One week later, I was at home on my computer where I seemed to spend more time than I spent in bed. I finished doing some tweeting and then checked my email and I received an encrypted message from C of R. Incoming transmission. At that very moment, my phone, connected to a separate network, buzzed with a decryption key. I entered it, and my computer started decoding. Twenty minutes later, a message appeared on the screen. Location, Lockwood Forest, zero hundred hours. Well, just like the three-minute warning one associates with violent diarrhea, when the champion of reason calls, you've just got to go. So I cancelled my midnight jazz ballet lesson and showed up at Lockwood Forest with a handful of croutons that I would hopefully not have to use to help me retrace my steps. A full moon provided light here and there in the forest, enabling me to see pieces of cloth tied to low branches, which I followed instinctively. I came to a spot where there were no pieces of cloth or any other markers, so I didn't know which way to go. All of a sudden, I heard a humming sound, and then I saw something very small and illuminated flying around on one side of me. It looked just like a tiny female fairy, sort of like Tinkerbell, although there was no pixie dust. The little illuminated fairy with wings moving so fast that they hummed made a couple of aerial moves this way and that, and then took off straight. I followed the flying fairy to a clearing, and came to none other than the champion of reason. He was seated on the ground, leaning against a tree, and he was drinking a beer. Questionable Adam! The champion of reason? How about a beer? I never say no to free beer. He stood up, opened a beer and handed it to me. We seemed all alone now, there was no sign of the fairy. I took a swig of my beer, and then I took a better look at the champ that I must have taken one week earlier. Because I noticed more than just the white t-shirt with the R on the front, and the mask and the cape. He was wearing an old brown leather pilot's cap, cut off blue jeans over long underwear bottoms, and blue knee pads that matched his mask and cape. Fastened to the belt loop on his cut off jeans was a sword in a scabbard. So champ, where's your horse? You mean my unicorn? Argentum is over there. Well, I looked over and I couldn't believe what I saw. The horse, a male, had a horn on its forehead, which begs the question, was it really a horse? I had to pinch myself to see if I was dreaming. Champ, you've got me wondering if I should have brought her a hypnol testing kit. Don't worry about it, questionable Adam. And don't worry about Argentum either. He won't bite. I moved closer to Argentum. He lowered his head and I clearly saw that the horn was spiraled and white. Argentum himself was greyish and looked very old, even frail. In fact, the longer I looked at him, the older and frailer he appeared to be. He certainly didn't look like my idea of a mythical unicorn. But he had that spiralled white horn on his forehead. The champion of reason came alongside me and took a swig of his beer. You know, the famous photo of the Loch Ness Monster was finally admitted to be a hoax by a man named Christian Sperling, who was in on the elaborate hoax with two other conspirators. The thing in the picture was really a toy submarine 
with a toy serpent's head fitted on it. Christian put it together, and another conspirator, a respected surgeon, went public with the photo, saying that he took it early one morning after spotting the monster, or whatever it was, from his car. Oh, so they set foolish people up to commit the logical fallacy called appeal to authority. Well, there was a little more to it than that because of the hoax, but basically, yes. People reasoned that since the surgeon was distinguished, his word should be accepted as fact. And that, my friend, is invalid reasoning. He reached under Argentum's chin and undid a piece of clear thread, and then he removed what was a fake horn from Argentum's forehead. <laughs> you had me going there, champ. Even when presented with what appears to be real, it's just the beginning. You've really got to dig deeper to distinguish fiction from fact. Yes, but all I did just now was prove that Argentum isn't a unicorn. I didn't prove that unicorns don't exist. I can't do that. Nobody can. The negative proof fallacy is used all the time. It sure is. They switch the burden of proof and essentially say, you can't prove it's false, so it's true. People who believe in the Loch Ness Monster routinely play that card. But, like you said, you've got to go deeper to get to the truth. He looked at me with a twinkle in his eye. Loch Ness happens to be a very deep lake. Don't tell me you're planning to go diving in Loch Ness. As a matter of fact, I am. You're joking. Not at all. That's what I wanted to talk to you about tonight. Would you like to join me? Well, sure. I have a budget of $7.62, so I think I can make it work. All we need is someone to carry our diving equipment, and I think I know the perfect man for the job. I pulled out my mobile phone and started dialing. Hello, Skeptoid Travel Agency and Scuba Tank Transportation Services. Brian Dunning speaking. Hi, Brian. I'm having a beer with the Champion of Reason. What? Really? Yes, I like beer. We're planning to go to Scotland and do some dives in Loch Ness in search of evidence for the Loch Ness Monster. And I thought of you as, uh... As the foremost expert on the topic. Not really. We'd like you to carry our equipment. You... you mean like a Sherpa? Yeah, like a Sherpa. Now, I'm in. I turned to the champ. Well, champ, it's on. The champ finished his beer and stood up. Good. I'll take a flight a few days before you do, because Argentum is going to have to go through quarantine at Heathrow Airport. You're bringing Argentum? Of course. I wouldn't think about going without Argentum. Well, I'd better get going. I stood up and watched the champ walk over to his old, frail steed. Hey, what about that flying fairy that led me to you? Remote control. Pretty cool, huh? The champ took something out of his pocket, and the next thing I knew, the little illuminated fairy was zipping around again. He made the fairy do a couple of loop-de-loops before bringing it back down and shutting off the remote. The champ gently mounted Argentum, and then he took off with a hearty, Hi-oh, Argentum! Away! 